Beer EDU Podcast, episode 132, Blending and Flipping PBL with Steve Martinez. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. friend how are you i am doing excellent ben how about yourself i am great it is another episode of the beard you i believe we are in episode 132 my friend indeed episode 132 at this point so and introductions first i am kyle anderson i am a special education facilitator in las vegas nevada you can find me on twitter instagram peloton untapped all of those at anderson edtech my blog andersonedtech.net and then I am also the author of To the Edge, Successes and Failures for Risk-Taking. That is on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, through my publisher, Edumatch Publishing. And you, my friend, you are? Ben Dixon. I am a principal in northern Nevada, the Reno area, north of you, my friend. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, untapped, at the Dixon NV. And since this is the Beer to You podcast, we have beer. Ish. Ish. Yeah. No, I think so... we do have beer. So, so you definitely have beer. I have kind of beer. Yeah, I wouldn't even call so. it near beer because <laughs> uh, near beer is, uh, you know, they say like uh, under 3% ABV kind of deal. Right. Like, so there are certain states that border Nevada that have rules on their beer That's where true. near beer is basically one of the only things you can get widely available there. But no, I'm actually going non-elk for this yeah. one. Yeah, uh, this, this is what uh, I haven't had. Yeah, this was in my fridge. Uh, somebody brought this over at one point. I don't recall who it was that brought it over, but it was in the fridge. And they said, hey, go ahead and try it if you like. But this is the Samuel Adams. I mean, so we all know Sam Adams. Yep. They have their Just the Haze. It is a hazy, non-alcoholic IPA. So um, not like a typical hazy IPA. Those typically have a okay. thick mouthfeel on them, and uh, the flavors are pretty vibrant. I don't know if it's because it's the non-elk that those are kind of diminished and it's a little bit thinner. But, I mean, it's not bad, but um, it's definitely not what I typically expect from a hazy IPA with, with the, the different profiles coming out of it. But, uh, I mean, 0.5% ABV. So there is a slight touch of alcohol, not a lot. Um, and then there's no IBU listed. Um, and I'm not getting a lot of hops on it anyway. Uh, no. So. But um, again, not terrible if you want to have a few beers, but you don't want the effects of the beer and you want to be functional later in the evening or the next morning. This is a, it's a decent choice for that. Yeah, no, it's 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 one that I definitely I, I'm going to go check out. So, yeah, you I went the other way, not too far, but I went with something a little different. I went with Lead Dog, local Reno brewer. I went with their peanut butter chocolate stout. And I had to look because I'm like, I've had this I've had it, and I'm like, have I had this on the show? Previous episode, I had a peanut butter chocolate stout, but it was from Belching Beaver. So this one is Lead Dog, um, 6.6%. I 
you know, ABV, 50 IBU, it's dessert. That's really it. I mean, it's not, <laughs> this is a beer that pours like a sandwich. I love that beer. That's probably my favorite beer from that brewery. And uh, when I was in Reno last, I went in there to the brewery. I hadn't been there in a couple of years since I had moved. And that was the first thing I had them pour me because I hadn't had one in quite a while. And then uh, another thing you can do if you go to the brewery is if they've got their uh, raspberry blonde ale on tap, you get a pour of the half raspberry blonde and half of the peanut butter stout. Mm. And it's basically like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So when you okay. say pours like a sandwich, literally you can get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich yeah. beer. And it, it is well, incredible. So prior to us recording and I went downstairs and I got this and I poured it and my wife's like, why do I, you smell like peanut butter? And I'm like, here, drink this. And she drank it. And then she said, you need to put ice cream in that. And I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, I might, um, but I'm not going to. Yeah, uh, a scoop of vanilla ice cream in that as a float. It'd be a good float, be I'm just saying. Because, I mean, I've had a Guinness float before, and I've had floats from other darker beers. That would probably be a really good one. I had one in San Diego. I want to say we were at Stone. It was one of the San Diego breweries, and they did a dessert, a dessert beer. A de one of their dark beers with, with ice cream. It was good. It was, it was solid. So yeah, this is my dessert. There we go. There we but go. this is the beer to you. We've talked about our beers. We have a guest. Uh, Steve Martinez is joining us. Steve, thanks for being on the show. No guys, thanks for having me. Super pumped. And I'm excited for the conversation. Awesome. So you have a beer. Um, tell us about your beer. Yeah. So I, I live in central Valley of California. So I, I, Decided to go super local. And so I live in a small town called Escalon. And it's right outside Modesto, California. If you're driving down 99. And there's a, there's a small, even small, well, no, we're the small town. They're slightly larger, but they're still small. This, t this town called Oakdale. And in Oakdale, um, they have a few little small breweries there. Um, are doing quite well uh, for what they're doing. And one I went with. Last Call. Uh, Last Call, I believe they, they opened up in 2014. Um, so I picked up, I've never had this one. I've had a few of their other ones, like over dinner, local restaurants. Um, but this one's called Simple Chaos. Um, pretty, pretty good, not too hoppy. Um, I believe it's at 7%. So I'm going to take this one slow. Um, and, and so that's, that's what I'm having tonight. Again, keeping it super local. Uh, trying to support all the local businesses um, in my area. Definitely nothing wrong with that. And we were kind of talking a little bit before we hit the record button about how Central Valley, there's a lot of great beer in the Central Valley. And then with the great beer comes the great tacos as well. Yep. There's plenty of those in the Central Valley as well. And it makes me want to get back up there to the Central Valley to get my taco and beer fix once again. So, uh, but again, thank you for joining us, taking some time out of your busy schedule. Um, so let's hear a little bit about who you are, though. What do you do, your journey in education, how you got to where you're at now? Really, like kind of the Cliff Notes version of Steve Martinez. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Uh, so let me first say that I'm in transition right now. Um, I'm about to leave the classroom. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But um what I was doing is I was teaching senior level government economics and world history uh, at the sophomore level. 
doing that in Modesto, teaching at a, a school, uh, Enoch's High School in Modesto, Modesto Schools. Um, before I did that, I was really involved with the marching arts, uh, teaching, coaching, designing for uh, percussion ensembles, uh, um, marching bands. Um, I do have some memories of going to Vegas for, for certain comps and stuff like that. Um, and so a lot of traveling, a lot of designing. Um, I did that for about 14 years. Uh, and then I eventually transitioned into my current role. Um, and, and so um, really loved doing the government and econ thing. Um, I really loved the opportunity to um, use project-based learning with students and getting them involved uh, with civil engagement, civil discourse, um, solving problems in their own community. Um, through the project-based learning experience, through things like design thinking, and also like at the sophomore level, getting them to really think critically about, you know, why we teach history, why we learn history, kind of the cause and effects, um, not kind of, the, the cause and effects that have taken place and looking at what's happening now and really positioning the content and allowing the content to meet them where they're at. So in the process, though, I, I do use uh, the flipped classroom model. Um, to leverage that classroom space, to meet with students one-on-one -on -one in small groups, meeting them socially, uh, emotionally, uh, and really using that class space to address misconceptions, meeting them where they're at, giving every learner a chance to learn regardless of where they're at, right? Um, and so for me, the, the, the flipped classroom wasn't just about, you know, me not having a lecture, but more of like being more purposeful with that space. Um, so where I'm headed next, uh, I did take a, a full-time position at Cami. Um, and so Cami is an EdTech tool. Um, and simply it's, it's an it's a annotation tool, um, but it is a whole lot more than that. Um, it, there's a lot of accessibility with it. You can literally drop any document, any picture, whatever you want into Cami and then allow students to have text-to-speech, speech to text, um, there's built-in dictionary, there's collaboration, there's, and, and like a lot of times this gets built into whatever learning management system that, that you have. Um, and it's a huge tool, it's a powerful tool. Um, and, and so I, I recently took and accepted a position. Uh, we're recording this right now, June 16th. My start date is June 20th. So I don't have all of the details of what the role is, um, it, it, it will involve a lot of um, training, a lot of speaking, a lot of um, uh, getting, you know, meeting with school districts, meeting with teachers, and not, not presenting it as like, hey, here's the tool, but how can the tool be a solution? How did it look in my classroom? How did it look in the flipped classroom model? How did I use it for feedback? Um, and how did I use it for that blended learning in and out of the room and allowing the whole experience of my classroom to um, support every learner with Cami as my aid with that. Um, and so I'm in the middle of this transition. Um, I'm really excited, but also a scared a little bit. Like it's, it's different, right? It's, and that's why it's scary is that it's like this big move. I've never made a move like this. I've always been around kids. Right. Okay. So right. that to me is like, am, am I going to miss it? Um, but I, I, I do know that um, I've worked closely with Cami already. Um, they, they have a, a couple of um, every year they do some remote conferences. And I've 
and I've been a speaker at a few of them and just culture there. Um, they're, they're a company that they listen to teachers, they take that feedback, and they're constantly trying to improve what they're doing to better support teachers, but also, most importantly, trying to support students regardless of grade. Hey, so Steve, you were, I, I'm super curious to kind of back up in our conversation. You were talking about your classroom and flipped that flip model and, and those things. So what, was there an event that happened that made you go, okay, I gotta, I gotta change the way I'm doing things. Or was this like a, a gradual process? Like, like talk us through how you made that decision. Cause that's not a, that's not a, like a show up at work on Monday and be like, <laughs> Hey kids, this is what we're doing. Yeah. So I, okay. So I think it really went back to when I was student teaching. So I was student teaching and mind you, I had a really good cooperating teacher. Um, she taught AP Gov and uh, she still does and teaches the CP level government econ as well. So she only has seniors um, and she was really talented at the stand and deliver. Like kind of, you know, that, that college vibe of, you know, like she knows how to pull in current events, like just like on the fly. She knows how to bring interesting stories. And she had that life experience with it that I didn't have at the time. But when I entered the classroom, I emulated what she was doing. And I recognized right away, as much as it worked for her, it did not work for me. And, um, and maybe I should have tried it out longer, but I realized that, and I kind of went back to how I was when I was a student. Like to me, it was like, I'm either gonna be taking some notes and listening to new information, right? But not really listen because I'm writing down notes. But it, or I'm going to not document anything, just listen. And then a lot of that information is not really going to stick. I don't have it documented anywhere. So right away, I was like, okay, something, something has to change here. So when I was doing research just on my own, I was like, okay, so here's this flipped model that I'm reading about. And what was intriguing about it to me was if a student is observing some sort of new information via media outside of the classroom, they can document at their speed. They can pause the video and have that think time on like on their terms. And they do that outside of the class and they document everything that they need. They, they got that new initial information. So now when they enter the room, we can do something with that new information. So I, I've heard so many times our teachers are like, you know, like, what do you do with all that class time if you're not doing that stand and deliver. Um, but for me, that's where, then that's where, not, not to get ahead of it, but like, that's where project-based learning came in. It was like, okay, how do we have more meaningful, authentic learning experiences for students? So, that, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but to, Ben, to answer your question, that's, that's really where it, where it came from, was just observing my classroom space and really not being satisfied with how I was doing it, how the kids were doing it. And Frankly, when I first started flipping, I did it with uh, my seniors. I did it in the starting, I started in the spring with econ and we did it a few weeks, just normal. And then as soon as we started flipping, all their scores went up exponentially and the kids noticed that. And at the time, I didn't even really know what I was doing really. A year after that, I went and I got my master's in, in ed tech and my, I, my thesis was on flip classroom. 
So then getting like digging into it at that level, then I was, I felt, okay, I can really amp this up. Um, but again, it was all about not being satisfied with where we were and what the experience was and what, what it had to offer. So in that beginning, when you were flipping, it, was it, what was it short videos you were making? Was it assigned reading? So what, what was, what was the, the initial flip? And then was it a lot of extra work outside of school time to prepare all of this? Okay. So the class, the, the, the amount of time it takes to flip uh, can be daunting and crazy. However, um, I paced myself. So the first time I did it, I only did it for part of a semester for econ. The following, well, that following summer, I was like, let me finish econ and let me do a part of Gov. And when I started Gov, then that bought me time. And you have to make, you have to just accept that not, at least when you first start building, not every video is going to be super good. But the more I did it and the more I got exposed to different tools, especially because of COVID, like we got exposed to like a whole bunch of tools, right? Um, so there's that piece of it. The other piece is like, not everything that I give my kids has to be mine. So um, when like very early on, when I taught world history, I realized that I understood the French revolution, but my first time teaching it, I didn't deliver the French revolution very well. So I'm like, okay, so I dropped the ball on that. How do I um, take a step back and figure this out within that flip model? So using things like Khan Academy, going somewhere else. And now we have so many resources. Like there's so much media out there. Like somebody, if you can't do it, somebody can. And if they can do it better, why not give that to your students? So like putting ego aside, you know? Um, and so <clears throat> that's, that's the big thing with the time. Um, and so it was mostly all videos to start out with. Um, and, 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 you know, like I'm making this transition into Cami. So um, if Cami's watching this in a month or two, whatever, just know that this is before my hire. Uh, when I was in the classroom, I was using Edpuzzle for that. Um, and so I would create my videos using things like um, WeVideo. Uh, there's, a, there's a tool called Mm-hmm which allows you to doctor up your videos, which is a super rad tool, by the way. Um, and and giving, giving students that, that video, that Edpuzzle, and the Edpuzzle piece is big in the sense of doing those check-ins and allowing students to give you data or, and, or analytics. So, so I knew exactly what they knew or what they didn't know even before they entered the classroom. Um, I would say the, the thing I learned right away, if you can make a video 10, 12 minutes, that's the good spot. Um, I, I remember making like, I did the causes of World War II. I was like, whoa, that was 40 minutes. There's no way I can give that to kids. It's like, there's no way, right? Like, so then it was like, okay, so maybe I do like two causes for one video, and then another cause for, so you, you, you find ways to break it up. Um, and, and so, and because especially with the younger grades, like they don't, they, they want it put simply, it needs to be put in terms that they understand. 
And there needs to be those check-ins throughout to the point where, again, I know what they know before they walk in to better leverage how I'm going to use that space. And it allows me to customize and personalize that instruction for each class, for each student. And each class is going to be a little different based off how each period performs on it, right? Or how they understand it. I don't want to use that word perform, but how they're absorbing the information and what they're giving back to me. And all this is happening outside of the classroom. So, so when you flip that, what was the, what was your, re, what was the reaction from your students? Because, because this is a, and I don't know, maybe your kids had had experience with that, but I can just imagine there are some kids that are like, whoa, this isn't how we do school. Like, like how did your kids react? It, so the flip model was something that I don't think a lot of my colleagues um, have done. Um, I think that I did it with seniors first. Right. And it was like, you know, I don't want to do it with sophomores. Let, let me learn this with seniors because they're, right. and it, it was like, it was their, it was their last semester, right? Like, okay. they're like, oh, we'll try anything. We're almost right. out of here. They, they have that senior vibe, right? Um, and it was, a, it was a good group of kids. Um, they weren't all like the most academic, but they were very like willing to just try something new. Um, so at first it was like, mm, kind of like, oh, this is weird. But when they saw how their scores went up, they're like, oh, wait, like, why is this happening? And then having those conversations, why it's happening. So it's like anything else, like, you know, like we talk about like providing clarity in the classroom and setting procedures. It's the same thing. It's just now these procedures are, it's, it's about getting the students to understand the why. Like, why do we flip? We flip so that way I know what you know before you walk in. So that way you don't have to listen to me talk for 50 minutes. And then maybe even gamifying the experience. Like if we do a video, you come in the class with the, the highest score, right? Whatever little quiz I, I, I have for them will get extra credit. So then you like, you like motivate the kids and, and they, and they kind of get, they get the whole like, Hey, we don't like getting talked to all day either. And it really teaches the kids how to take the learning in their own hands. And they, they start to realize that. The, the big drawback, and I think it's a cultural thing, but they view flipped classroom as extra homework. Oh, okay. So I think the big thing is to try to get kids to, yeah, you have this homework, but you don't have anything else tonight. Like you have one job. You have, you have like the 10 or 15 minutes, knock that out, right? And, and, and maybe I'll give them two days to do it, right? Uh, depending on how things are getting chopped up. Uh, and so at, at first, it's a little rough. The first time I did it was sophomores. I did it at the very beginning of the year. The flip model is in my syllabus. Um, I actually provide a video. Being like, hey, this is why we do it. Like the analytics piece, the, the customizing, personalizing. But with sophomores, what I really did is I, I took a focus away from hey, you're going to get a test to, hey, we're now engaging in project-based learning or okay. we're getting a checking quiz and we're really just going to reflect on how you did without your performance on the quiz punishing you in the grade book. So doing those two things helped motivate, to me, helped motivate students, especially the younger ones, to be okay with the flip, but also 
getting them to appreciate what it does for them as students and as people because it, it takes that anxiety that that test anxiety out of the out of the equation because it's it's more about the reflection and it's more about engaging in the PBL experience which is more about that authentic learning allowing them to tap into their own passions and using those passions to solve problems that they want to solve well and not to mention the fact that now if a student is absent there's no reason for them to not to be able to get the information because now it's there so because you're doing other activities in class and not doing the 50 minutes of stand and deliver it's right it's in right. a 10 to 15 minute video so if the student's gone boom right there that and I, i'm not sure if you were on a block schedule or not but i know like my school is on a block schedule kids absent on a tuesday comes back on thursday if we were had been flipped, they could have watched that video on Tuesday night. They could have watched it on Wednesday at any point, even on Thursday morning, whatever it may have been. And then they know what they had to be prepared for when they come into class. So I'm sure you saw kind of the same thing. Yeah, I so um, I we only did block. My school only did block during remote learning. Um, so oh, okay. I never experienced block in person, though I would I. I really love the idea of block because like for like for, I, I know for some teachers like, Oh, block, that's too much time. But for me, it's like, okay, cool. So instead of like having like 40, 50 minutes to conference with kids, to do the PBL setup. Now I have a lot more time and have longer conversations with them, not just about the content, but where they are from a skill set standpoint within the project. Um, are they, are they coding? Are they, building a podcast like what are they doing right so having having more time for all of that stuff uh, is that 21st century learning right um and and so for, for 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 me that was the appeal to block but even with 50 minutes like it's nice having that 50 minute space um now that i don't have to stand and deliver for even for 30 minutes yeah i think it depends on the subject that you're teaching your views on the yeah. block so like i as a social studies teacher by trade myself i loved the block because like you said it gave the opportunity to extend the conversations to to go deeper into something uh so um i was one of those teachers uh in, in u.s history i taught u.s history for a long time i also taught econ i taught government so i, I taught all the ones that uh you've already mentioned but a lot of kids that you know they'll come back years later and they'll talk about my storytelling style and that's the way i was as a teacher and, and it afforded me the opportunity to be able to tell the story and i enjoyed telling the story but as a math teacher a lot of math teachers don't yeah. like the block <laughs> that's where i was gonna go yeah, yeah because a lot of math teachers and, and i'm and i agree to an extent that um kids need to see math every day uh right. to be successful with it um and the thing that I did with my co-teacher this past year was we had the kids not, we, we had the block schedule, we had them an hour and a half every other day for our algebra class, but a handful of them we had in a second pre-algebra class where we could expand on the stuff. So the kids were, they were seeing us every day. They were also getting two math credits though too. So, which was, which was really nice. So that was something that we pitched to my principal and she went with it. And it worked out beautifully. So um, at this point, I'm not, I'm out of the classroom myself now at this point. So um, I, I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to work this school year with a different co-teacher, but I know 
I really enjoyed it with my co-teacher this past year. So um, now a lot of people, the question they have, you know, we, you've talked a little bit about how you flipped your classroom, how you did that, whatever. But there's also this whole blended classroom thing too, you know, and there's a lot of confusion as to what the difference between those are. Can you just use them interchangeably? So um, what are your thoughts on that? So for me and what I've heard is, so you have blend, I think of like a blended classroom, the blended learning is one big umbrella. Flip classroom just fits underneath inside that umbrella. And so to me, like flipped classroom is just a form of blended learning. Um, and there's a variety of different ways that you can have a, that you can have blended learning in your classroom, right? So is, in, for, for me, in order to have blended learning, like, or is it, is there some sort of, you have your synchronous and asynchronous going on? Is some of it happening in or out of the room? Um, so I, I know some teachers are, you know, for, you know, equitable reasons like there's kids don't have wi-fi at home right mm -hmm. um so those types of issues where even the flip classroom they do the flip but they do an in-class flip mm -hmm. so like going back to the block schedule thing like hey we're you're doing the notes in class so then they have no homework <laughs> right um and i i know there's a few teachers out there that that do that um i never did that i never felt like i had the time to do that um but i do like that idea of like you know, you get everything done in house. Um, so again, so like I, I, I would not use flipped classroom and blended learning uh, interchangeably like that. I think they are two different things. I think flipped classroom is a form of blended learning. Blended learning, I feel like is um, you could have more options in terms of how you have kids engage um, within a text. Maybe there's like uh, like a playlist involved like a station rotation involved in class, but then they do something with it out of class. Um, and, and so for me, those are the, those are the two differences there. So kind of an all thumbs or fingers, but not all fingers or thumbs kind of deal. So that's the kind of the analogy that I was uh, thinking of there. So. Correct. Yeah. So now I kind of want to shift a little bit, though. I mean, you said that you haven't started your position with Cami yet. So, but I do want to talk a little bit about that tool because, I mean, I've heard of this tool. Um, I haven't done a lot of work with it. Um, I do a lot of uh, working with PDFs, and I know Cami is a great tool for PDFs, but I use DocHub because I'm doing a lot more filling PDFs than anything. But I, I want to learn a little bit more about this tool that you were going to be promoting a lot of. Yeah, so um, so Cami is a tool that they they it can live it can live in almost any learning management system, um, but the three the three go tos for them is Google Classroom, Schoology, and Canvas. Um, you can what I really loved about Cami is that you can virtually take any type of document. So you can put a PowerPoint and put that in Cami. So you can put Google Slides. Microsoft Word doc, right? And, and like whatever it is you want the kids to engage in. Um, for me, it was um, what I loved about it was the feedback component of it. So students can text right onto the document if they want, they can highlight. Um, but there's a really cool comment feature where student can, um, or me as their teacher can create a comment. So kind of like how you have a comment in a Google doc they can type in there 
They can also record a voice comment. They can also record a video comment. And my personal favorite is the screen capture comment, where it'll screencast the entire document and make a video of them working through that document, graphic organizer, text, whatever it is. And so for me, it was all about modeling what the expectations were right in the doc so the kids can see it. And that was huge during COVID, like where kids are all at home. They're not in the room with me, but they get that little comment there. They're like, hey, that's exactly what he wants. The other thing too, especially with project-based learning, students are working with a bunch of stuff and they're, they have a lot of confusion about what they're doing. So then they create a screen capture comment for me. And then as soon as they create that comment, I get an email. Then I see the comment and I can reply to that comment. And so for me, it creates a high level of back and forth, regardless of time or place, regardless if we're in the room together, if we're out of the room together. Um, and it, it certainly empowers students because it makes them feel that I'm always there. And, and there's, and there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of other cool aspects to it. One, one new one, um, again, it's, it's June 16th, but one new one, there's the, uh, you can speak into the little microphone and whatever you're speaking, it'll just type it all out. But now Cami offers that in multiple different languages. So you can oh, cool. do it in English and Spanish. I believe uh, I could be wrong on this. Like off the top of my head, I believe there are 13 or 14 languages that are now supported by cami in in that work well i think that's that's a super cool feature and I, I think about kids that might have um struggle with writing or those kind of things where we want them where we don't want to we want to hear their thought process and not get them so hung up on spelling and those and you know the mechanics of writing which which are important but sometimes and i know you know uh, as a as like a social studies teacher and those things it's about the discussion Sometimes it's like, great, we're going to do writing, but I want to hear what you have to say. So I think that's a great feature to add in to, to, to have kids have access to. Yeah, it, it really helps with the, um, how we differentiate instruction. Right. And, and, and it's, it's not even, it's not even just like ELs, um, special needs, like, like, but it's just like, I, my experience has been like almost all students need, they, they need these types of support. Um, especially with what they just gone through the last like two years. Or whatever. Good point. Yeah. And, and so, and students, students really appreciate that. Um, and it's, it's also a great place for collaboration. Um, and they have a lot of cool um, already built templates for that. So they just launched a new library, um, which has like a bunch of already pre-made lesson plans, graphic organizers, um, and uh, we, use, we use it a lot for digital whiteboarding. Uh, like with PBL, we're like, hey, in your group, I'm giving you a Cami doc that you can all collaborate on and you get all of your ideas. And we use the digital inking. They, and and then, then that could happen anywhere. Like one kid will have one good idea like at nine o'clock in the evening. They drop that in. We'll all see it the next day. Um, and, and so that level of inspiration and be able to, you know, put your thoughts and your feelings on a page. Uh, regardless of time or place, is huge. Yeah, and as you've been talking, I, I pulled up the website and was just kind of looking around here a little bit, and um, I got into the pricing uh, area. We, 
because my instant thought, anytime I hear about a cool new tool is like, all right, how much does this cost? And I'm not against paying for a really cool tool. So, so just looking though, 99 bucks for a year for a teacher plan. And uh, that's, uh, that's very reasonable. I mean, especially considering yeah. all the stuff you can do with that. I mean, looking here, I mean, you can do the basic plan, but a lot of the stuff you kind of mentioned, you, you don't get that with the basic plan. And that, and that's okay. Cause again, I mean, having the ability to do voice and video comments, I mean, especially if you're going to use that quite often, 99 bucks for a year is absolutely nothing. And, you know, sure. I mean, I can't speak for Ben, but I, I, I can imagine if one of Ben's teachers came up to him and said, Hey, do you have, a, do you have 99 bucks in the school budget so I can get this? Ben's probably gonna be like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would rather pay for something like that than say, and I won't say the name of a something, something teachers site where people buy things. I'd rather have them using a tool like that where, where you're right. Where I think, I think one of the things that's a, that Kyle, you talked about and, and Steve, maybe you talk more about like, like how you see this being used is that, that idea of the, the comment, the feedback that you can give kids. Because I think that's one of the things that like, great, you get your paperback and you get an A or you get a C or you get a D and then maybe the teacher writes comments, but then it's like, meh, whatever. I think that that option of the video is, is so instantaneous. And let's just be honest. That's the world we live in now. That's the world that these kids live in. Well, and I, so Cammy's all about making our lives easier. So we, we were spending so, so much time talking about the comments. Um, they have this, it is fairly new about, about a year ago, they added a, a comment bank. So let's say oh. that you have that that comment that you give to right. like several students, like, hey, proofread, hey, proofread, hey, proofread. Hey, right. bro, could you proofread? And so what what you create that comment and then they have this little icon. It's like a, like a little uh, like a bookshelf icon. You click on it and then it gets stored in your bank and you just drag oh. and drop it. Or if I type in PR, proofread will just show up in that comment. I hit enter. Cool. I, I just move on. Right. So it's stuff like that. Like the annotation bank, it's not just for comments. It's also for text. It's for a few other tools too. And they're, they're in the business of working smarter, not harder. And because they, they respect, they understand that our time as educators is precious. Right. But in the same time, we still need to give students that feedback. So they, they really try to make, you know, both together and really try to help us with our time, but still allow us to give feedback in a timely, effective way. Yeah, and as a special ed teacher, I, I love under that teacher plan that the dictionary, the read aloud, the speech to text, I mean, all things that, you know, for some of our learners, things that would definitely come in handy. So, I mean, yeah, and then, and then the integrations, I mean, you, you mentioned Google Classroom, Schools, your Canvas, I mean, those are pretty much any teacher those are the in America. Big ones. Yeah, pretty yeah. much any teacher in America at this point is probably using one of those three right there. So, I mean, it's gonna integrate with all those. So, and I mean, I just, just been scanning just under this pricing thing, the stuff you can do with that $99 plan. And that's, it's incredible. And then, you know, I'm seeing too, that there's a school and district one. So, I mean, Ben, as a principal, I mean, it, it doesn't have, it doesn't have pricing for it because you'd have to contact them. But if all of a sudden, if this is something several of your teachers want to use, guess what? You can request a quote and find out how it, and it's going to be probably a lot cheaper, 99 bucks a year. So, right. Well, and I think I think that that this is a tool that as we move forward and with anything we've talked about this before, the pandemic has shown us 
is we have to move away from the way we've always done things and expect that those are going to work with our kids in a digital age and those kind of things. Because I think, I think one of the things that hopefully has come out of this situation is that like we realize that flipped models work and some kids thrive in that model. So I think it's a good tool to, to have access to. And now I'm into the library page with all the templates too. So this is- uh, Kyle's gone down the rabbit hole now. I have gone down the rabbit <laughs> hole. And when I go down rabbit holes, I, I have a hard time getting out sometimes. The, the reason why I don't have a TikTok account because I don't ever want to fall down a TikTok rabbit hole. So, but no, just, I mean, just on the, on the main page here, templates for class awards. I mean, I've designed those myself in like Google drawings or Google slides or something like that. And now here's ones right here, just, you know, absolute basic award type things. And, you know, you've got exit tickets, you've got brain breaks, graphic organizers. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff in here and you can filter out by subject area, by the type, by the grade level. So this is, again, I'm in the rabbit hole. I'm, I'm trying to dig myself out. <laughs> So, so Steve, you used this tool for a while. Like, what's a what's if I'm a new teacher and I'm I want to get started with this, but I, you know, some of these tools are very overwhelming. Um, where where would you suggest like your teacher? What's a good what's a good entry point for them? Um, so you can do you can do a few things. So, um, Cami does have a YouTube channel that does have a lot of like, you know, cool. uh, uh, Cami for math, Cami for social studies. They do have uh, courses, so it, so Kyle's on their website earlier. Um, I can I can try to pull that up for you guys. Maybe put it in the show notes. Maybe, um, but uh, there there's a I think there's a level one, level two, uh, and that's where I started with Cami. So okay. I, I I I did the courses, um, and I was like, okay, I did the the, the level one. I, at the time, I don't think level two is even a thing. Um, but I did it and I fell in love with it right away. I'm like, no way this tool is this good. And then I started using it in the classroom and I was like, no, it is this good. Like, like in terms of what it does and how it supports students. Um, so that's, that's kind of the, um, so those, those to me, like, are, are the, are the two, are the two spots, um, that, that you can go to. They also have, um, I believe at the more of like the, the center of their website. You go down, or if you go to, I think it's contact. I don't have the site open in front of me, if, uh, but you can contact support, or you can even book people, like future me, and uh, and 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 you know, like people can come in remotely to uh, to to train to to be like, hey, this is th this is what it is. This is how you use it, um, and and their their uh, their BDR team is is growing. Um, and from, from what I, from, from what I've seen so far, a lot of talented individuals, um, uh, so talented to where I'm like, wow, why are you hiring me at times? <laughs> but, but, uh, but I, I am, I am humbled and, and honored that, that they're, that they're taking that chance with me. Um, uh, but so those to me are, are, are the three different ways, um, that you can really get started with Cami. Um, Cami does, they have a good presence at conferences. Um, they were at Q, uh, and which I think where, where I met Kyle was that was that Spring Q, um, and so they were at Q. They're going to be at ISTE. Um, I, I know, like right now it's June June sixteenth. They're going to be at ISTE. I'm even trying to get Cami more involved in more of my local conferences 
um and because what what they're all about is like they're 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 trying to they're trying to show what they can do um which they they do well um at the conferences in that regard um and i think that you know just go online hop on their website they they have a facebook group it's a good spot follow them on twitter that's another good spot their facebook group is really good for teachers just sharing stuff with each other and sharing ideas and it's not just their love for cami but also how everyone is using it globally so how can people get in touch with you either on the socials or any other way so they could um you know talk a little bit more about flipping blended classroom pbl or um, by the time this airs, your role with Cami and learning more about Cami. Yeah, so if you, you can find me on Twitter, Martinez underscore EdTech. Um, I, I do have a website that is very much a work in progress. Um, and so in, in our chat here, um, I'll, I'll drop that. And also, yeah, I'll drop that in our private chat. Drop it in. Um, there's only one blog up there. It's on design thinking. Um but it does have all my contact info if they want to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram stuff, uh, uh, places like that. Um, but the Twitter's kind of the go-to. Um, that's that's the spot that I'm checking daily, um, and, and I and I try to tweet out as as, as much as possible, um, and will continue to do so as I enter this new role. Yeah, so definitely check the show notes out for all of that information and the the web link as well there. So. Um, so, yeah. Steve, man, thanks a lot for taking some yeah, time thanks, out, Steve. joining us and chatting, having a beer with us, all that, all that. No, guys, thanks. It's, it was fun. Uh, and and like, like I said, Kyle and I met at Q, really hit it off um, and and uh, enjoyed seeing seeing Kyle and a little main stage there talking about this show. I was like, man, that sounds like a fun show and a good conversation. Yeah, we did have a good time yeah. at Q. So and uh, that was uh that was fun talking about the show on the stage there. So I, I always like promoting the show a little bit. And, uh, you know, Ben and I, we have a lot of fun with this. So, uh, yeah. again, thanks for, yeah. uh, thanks for thanks, joining Steve. us. Yeah, thanks, Steve, so much for, for joining us. And, Kyle, if people want to keep this conversation going and, and find out more, where, where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. So you can email us at info at beeredupodcast.com. You can tweet us at beeredupod and then hashtag beeredupod. You can hit us up on our Facebook page at beeredupodcast. That's all one word. Follow us on Instagram at beeredupod. Our YouTube channel is at bit.ly slash beeredu.youtube. Um, you can watch episodes uh, recorded live there and on our Facebook page. Uh, again, make sure you follow Steve at Martinez yep. underscore EdTech on Twitter. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and where you can find the show. And Ben, you've got some information how others can be guests on the show as well. Yeah, so go to beeredupodcast.com. You know, you click on that uh, contact information link. There's a link in there. You get yourself uh, in there and you just put your name in and, and get in the queue. And we want to hear what you're passionate about, share your your thing in education, you know, you can have a beer with us, maybe not have a beer with us. It'd be great to have you on the show. Um, yeah, get in there. We'd love to talk to you. And then also we have to make sure we thank some people. So we want to make sure that we thank uh, School Rubric for featuring the Beer EDU podcast. So School Rubric, go to schoolrubric.org. You can find so much great content. School Rubric, their whole purpose is to help schools, educators, parents, and students tell their stories. So everyone can make the best choices about enrollment 
and staffing. So definitely check out schoolrubric.org. Also, we are very lucky to be part of the Code Breaker Podcast Network. There are so many great, amazing podcasts on that network. Teachers Talking, Teaching, Student Center World, STEM Every Day, Teachers on Fire, My Ed Tech Life. Check out codebreakeredu.com and you know you get your fill of amazing education podcasts. So that is how you can find us. Steve, stick around because Kyle, you have a learn about that kind of goes with the last learn about that we did. Yeah, and we were talking about rabbit holes. Uh, this was a result <laughs> of another rabbit hole I went down when we were looking at hard seltzers last episode. Yes. So uh, because somewhat related to the hard seltzer is the flavored malt beverage. So um, you may not know what they are just from hearing that, but you do know what they are. These are your... And you've had one. Come and on. you probably had one. Yeah, <laughs> so these are your ones like your Mike's Hard Lemonades, your Smirnoff Ice, or if you're old enough to remember, the Zima. Oh, I, I was waiting for it. Yep. Yep, the Zima was one of those as well. So, yeah, back in the 90s, these became pretty popular. They're still relatively popular today, but what yeah. are they? So, by definition... A flavored malt beverage, it's a fermented drink that's based on malted barley, much like a beer. But these are not, they don't look like beers, they don't taste like beers. They're flavored to be something else. Like, I've seen the lemonade ones, like, of course, your Mike's Heart Lemonade. Um, there used to be a line that uh, was like rum and coke flavored, uh, but they were malt beverages. Other types of drinks. So sometimes, like, almost like cocktails in a bottle or a can, but they're right. based off of barley. So... Now, this is where it gets really weird, though. To be classified as a malt beverage, it's got to fit certain criteria here in the United States. 25% of the base has to be from barley. That's where they, you got you to gotta start with barley. At least 25% has to be that. They also require that hops be added to the brew, just like a beer. They have to have okay. seven and a half pounds of hops per 100 barrels, okay? Which you're thinking... Weird. They don't taste like hops. No. I'll, I'll get there. At the end, when the, when the everything's all said and done, 51% of the final alcohol has to be derived from that malt base, that barley. So okay. they can add alcohol from other sources, but it has to be 51% from that malt base. Now, here, this is in the United States. So you go to other countries, they don't have those rules. So okay. um, like I know back in the day, I remember distinctly that in – the United States, like a Mike's Hard Lemonade was what I just talked about. But if you went over to Canada, a Mike's Hard Lemonade there was like a vodka lemonade in a bottle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So because they don't have to follow those rules like that. Now, the reason why here in the United States they have those rules, all due to taxes. Huh. Yeah. Really? Beer is taxed at a lower rate than liquor. So oh, if you've okay. got a flavored drink, okay, we'll use a hard lemonade as an example. And if it's made like a vodka and lemonade in a bottle, it's going to be taxed at a higher rate than if you made it based on <laughs> barley. And to oh, make okay. these, what they sometimes call these Elko pops, you know, your Smirnoff ices, right. your Mike's Hard Lemonades and whatnot. So the taxes are different. So now then it gets into how are these things made and like why is there hops in them and whatnot. So you throw them all, you throw the hops in, you boil it, you make the wort, but then they basically filter out pretty much every flavor that they possibly okay. can. Then they just start adding all of that flavor. So like you start out with this weak uh, barley and hop wort, 
and then they take all that out and then they start making it into a lemonade flavor. So they basically make beer, but then take what makes beer beer away. Pretty much. Okay. So, well then again, you can add other forms of alcohol, but again, it has to be 51% from that original okay. malt base. So again, it's not going to end up being like, like just a vodka lemonade or something like right. that in a bottle. Right, right, right. So now I, I know I mentioned Mike's Hard Lemonade, I mentioned Smirnoff Ice, but you've also got Red's Apple Ale is okay. a flavored malt beverage. I've heard of this stuff and I, I've never heard anything good about it, but Four Loco is okay. another one. There's a story there that I'm not going to tell on this show, but no. Yeah. <laughs> I've had experience and it wasn't good. I'll uh, leave it yeah. at that. <laughs> so um, I believe, I may be wrong. I didn't look this up, but I think uh, Mad Dog 2020 might be one of these as well. So yeah. I'm not 100% we've discussed, sure. we've discussed doing a malt liquor episode, but that's a different story. Yeah, I mean, malt liquor is pretty, that's beer. That's just in a different, that is, like, but that's weirder a form of so, it. So. Okay, well. So now I have a question. So, and you know, might not know this. So, does that mean that hard seltzer, which we talked about last episode, it's taxed at a different rate than this? So, the hard seltzer is probably going to be taxed similar to beer okay. um, because of the way it's made and everything. The way it's made. And so, it's, it's all about it's, the manufacturing. It's a, yeah, it's not a distilled spirit like a vodka or a gin or something right, okay, like that. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, but again, I mentioned in the last episode that. Hard seltzers are typically fermented with cane sugar, not right. barley, because again, if you do it with the barley, then it becomes a flavored malt beverage. So, sure. okay. so that's why the hard seltzers are going to be made with the cane sugar instead. So, um, and then again, like I said, I fell down that rabbit hole doing seltzers and got to this. Then there's a whole other category of hard sodas that we'll get into in another episode that, uh, oh, no. Yeah, just those get into a really weird area as well. So, yeah, so there you go. There's a, there's your flavored malt beverage for you. All right. Well, who knew? Who knew? So, I mean, I, I had a few of those back in the day, so I remember. But uh, I know the Four Loco. No. no. Stay away. Stay no, away. That's my advice. Yeah. <laughs> I had a I had a hard Mike's hard strawberry lemonade a while I, back and it was okay. Uh, it wasn't I something I wanted to have another one of though. No, yeah, yeah. it's kind of how I feel about hard seltzers. Yeah. So. so, well, I think that puts a cap yeah. on one thirty-two. Yes, Steve, thank you so much for being here, talking to us, sharing your story. It was great to have you. No, thank you. It's a pleasure, and uh, hopefully, we'll connect soon. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, thank you as always. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you.